Hey, this is two girls, one two ghost. Girls, one ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That is Corinne. And that is Sabrina. So I know we mentioned it on the Encounters episode that came out this past week, but I finished A Haunting of the Hill House or whatever mm-hmm. it's called on Netflix. Sabrina, it is top 10 favorite television shows what? of all time. Wow. Yes. Okay. The, it's unbelievably good. And then the last episode, it's all of a sudden like a paranormal version of This Is Us. I was ugly crying. It's all tied up in a little bow. It's just so perfect. So I started watching the first episode and I was watching it in my office on my laptop and I just kept seeing my reflection in the laptop and I was like, ah! (laughs) Um, Yeah, because the rest of the season's really scary. Yeah. And then, so then I decided that I need to watch it with Nick. So now, so then last night I rewatched episode one with Nick and we watched episode two. So we're getting through it. I'm also like right now, I don't just today specifically, I everything is making me cry and everything looks like a cake. Like I just want to eat everything in the world. Are you tired? Are you stressed? I think, yeah, a combination of things. Both. It's the burden of being a woman. But I like started oh. watching an <laughs> episode of, of Big Mouth and I freaking was like bawling yes! in my office. And like, oh my gosh, season two of Big Mouth, it's just miraculous. It's so good. Oh, I'm like, I'm dying to remember what Coach Steve calls making love. Having sex on a lady? No, no, no. But when he says, oh, you, you he said, he describes it in a certain way and it's hilarious. And then I was trying to Google it, but then I was on the network at work and I was like, <laughs> they probably track this. I shouldn't be like, how does Coach Steve describe sex? Oh God, Coach Steve. Yeah. Well, uh, if Big Mouth, if Big Mouth can make me cry, I'm sure Haunting of Hill House will make me cry as well. Totally. And for anyone who uh, watches Terrace House, which I'm, like, the only person probably. What is it? Season four is out. It just got dumped on Netflix, so I'm, like, trying to watch that tonight. Terrace House, it is a real – it's basically, like, the real world, but it's in Japan, and everyone is Japanese, and it's all subtitles because they're speaking Japanese, obviously. Hmm. And it is – so good it is so addicting because it's <laughs> so so different than american television i'm not a huge reality tv person uh-huh. i don't like watching people's emotions get all heightened and people freak out at each other and cry and act crazy and be embarrassed so, on tv so i shouldn't cry during our episode today because you won't <laughs> enjoy it no 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 that it's different i think it's that's different. gonna make this me is, cry right now <laughs> this is your natural state but i'm saying like <laughs> reality tv it tends to manipulate yeah, no people. i understand to, to bring out the worst in them. But the, t- Tara's house is so precious. It's so pure. Everyone, they we have to take a note from the Japanese, or at least from what I'm seeing on this reality show, because they are direct with people while being so incredibly sincere and humbling and apologetic. And, like, it's all about just, like, making people the best versions of themselves. Oh, oh God, it's so Good! That sounds so different from an American reality TV show. You gotta watch it. What uh, Halloween costumes did you pick this week? I'm excited to tell you because it's only a week until, right? It's like basically a week until you're out here. Yeah, yeah, actually, because this episode comes out on Sunday and I'll be there the next week. I just want to like let my witchy self fly. Like I just want to get on a broom and be me. Freaking do it, man. I will. Be you all the time. Ride your broomstick. Mount it and ride it all over the place. I love that meme where it's like parking lot and then there's a car and then a, a broomstick in the spot next to it. Oh, yes. Yes. 
<laughs> this is my favorite. So this week, seeing as when it comes out, you literally only have one week to get a costume. I'm choosing some pretty easy costumes for I you. I did the same are, thing. Did you? Look yeah. at us. We're so we're so concerned for all of you guys and your schedules and your lives. It's also you know? because I said I have a costume idea, but I have done nothing to put it together, so I might have to just do something on a whim. Oh, that's so unlike you. I have had so much going on in my life. Yeah, that's okay. I or I mean, realistically, last night I ordered mine on Amazon. <laughs> and when I say I ordered mine on a- Amazon, I mean I ordered the parts. I, was I never say. buy like a, a pre-made costume. So you can do it on Amazon. Hmm. What are you? No, I can't. And the reason I can't buy my costumes on Amazon is because no one ever makes them. So <laughs> the ideas are a little too off. Here is an easy one for you or anyone. <laughs> You can grab a t-shirt, and these are, like, totally stolen. These are not even my ideas. These are stolen from the internet. (laughs) People have done these on Pinterest. Everything's been done before at this point. No one's original anymore. You buy a black cloak at Spirit of Halloween or iParty or whatever, and then you carry around a toothbrush, and you're a brush with death. Wow. Or you can interchange that with a hairbrush. You could totally do a hairbrush. Just dress as the Grim Reaper in any which way you can and yeah. bring around a brush. Maybe I'll do that. That's easy. You could. You totally could. And then I'll just go around brushing everyone's hair all night. I'm sure people will respond very favorably to being touched by a stranger. Well, only people I know, like you and Allie. You can't brush my hair. I will be wearing a wig. <gasps> okay, I'm getting clues to what you are. I wear a wig every single year. When I was know. the last time I didn't wear a wig? So after last week's uh, gluten demon, I wanted to honor him with a costume. <laughs> So this is called The Breadwinner, and it's also a penny outfit. It's just you wear an athletic outfit and get, like, medals or a trophy and wear medals around your neck and then buy a bunch of bread, loaves of bread, and you're the breadwinner. And you also, not only is it very punny, you get to bring the best snack to absorb all the alcohol you and your friends drink. Oh, heck yes. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing to do. Like, when I was... 11 from Stranger Things, I actually toasted those Eggos and I brought them to the bar with me and they Brilliant. were great. And bars can't tell you you can't bring the food in because it's part of your costume. Exactly. And they don't know that it's that you even have it if you stick it in your pocket. <laughs> this one is a, it's a little more last minute. Um, it does require a trip to the store. Okay. Although you, if you have a printer at home, you could make do here too. Basically, you're going to dress up as a Ghostbuster. So you're going to have to put on a lot of khaki. Then put on a little backpack. Make sure you have some sort of nozzle device. Honestly, you could use like a paper towel holder center thing. Turn that into a vacuum. And then if you get, my idea was that you get one of those balloons that's at all of the stores. Honestly, the grocery stores have them nowadays. The ghost balloons. Oh, yeah, you're right. They do. So it's like it's floating in your vacuum you're all night vacuuming it into your backpack it's very last minute if it if you're down to the wire and you crafted it yourself so it's even more impressive this is more of a touch if i were to do this if over the night your ghost balloon starts to deflate you put it in your backpack and everyone's like where, but like where are the ghosts and you'll say i caught it already do you want to see it and in your backpack along with the crumpled up ghost you have smirnoff ices 
And so then uh, you have people. Classic Sabrina <laughs> finding a way to ice someone. Uh, you gotta get clever. People are gonna it. ice you at your wedding. You know that, right? I'm gonna ice everyone at my wedding. <laughs> so if I have to get iced as well, that's fine. The ice queen. Okay, I have one last one. This one okay. is kind of easy, but might be hard for people to know what you are. But. You have to channel your inner Corinne for this one. You have to be very secretive. You can't tell anyone what you're doing for Halloween. (laughs) And then on Halloween, you go into your significant other's closet and you wear their clothes and you dress up. What if you don't have a significant other? Then you pick a friend. You pick a friend or just if if it's an office thing, you don't have to go into someone's closet. But basically if it's like a company party, you can dress up as your boss, as another coworker, and you basically just wear something that looks like an outfit that they would wear and then you act like them all day it's totally the office when jim dresses as dwight yes oh my gosh bears beats battlestar galactica yes so you have to pick someone (laughs) good so yeah someone distinct enough that people would be like wait are you dressing up as okay what movie are you watching this week i picked a movie that i've never seen it's called the craft which i feel like everyone has seen and so that's why i chose it i haven't seen it oh you haven't well, me no. neither. That's why I'm watching it this week. I'm actually on Friday. I'm doing a ghouls and goodies night, and we're just gonna watch a scary movie or a Halloween movie and have lots of goodies. Oh, so cute! That's amazing. Mm-hmm. You always have fun parties. I can never participate in them though because they know. S- they sound more fun because I give them names. <laughs> No, they're still fun. <laughs> if I were to call it a movie hangout, you'd be like, or like a movie night. It's not that doesn't sound as fun. But you call it ghouls and goodies. <laughs> Last night, my roommates and I painted pumpkins. And oh. we listened to Halloween music. <gasps> fun. Okay, so you're watching The Craft. Mm-hmm. And what then I am watching a classic, Casper, the Friendly Ghost. <gasps> I love Casper. Right? It's the best. It's so good. And every time I'm surprised because I always wait a long enough time in between watching the movie that I forget a lot of the details. Yeah. Is that the one with, like, the scene where they go in the basement and there's, like, that chair that rides up and down the stairs? I think. I can't remember any other context besides that, but. Right. And I'm picturing that, but, like, am I just picturing it because you said it and my brain just made it up? (laughs) Or am I actually remembering it? I don't know. What is time? Is it linear? Are we, who are we? What are we doing? Oh, my God, I'm going to cry again. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, sorry. So this week, we decided to discuss urban legends tis the season for the urban legends Mm -hmm. to come out and it is i mean every state and i found so many articles that said like every state and their urban legends Mm -hmm. there are so many interesting ones that i ended up doing research for five different topics i'm not kidding i have now completed five episodes for the future because i just couldn't pick one and so now i just saved them for later (laughs) there are so many all over the place it's endless Yes. If you think about it, technically ghost stories fall under the category of urban legends. Perhaps. It's hard for me to categorize them as that. I think it depends on the type. Like, if you're talking about a ghost that is in the cabin in the woods and, like, eats the children or, like... Yeah, yeah. The woman at the side of the road that always gets picked up and then disappears into the the graveyard or whatever. Then, yes. But I feel like there are a lot of ghost encounters that can't be urban legends they're just ghost encounters the lost souls wandering the earth trying to get a message out 
What'd you pick? Wait, no, you're definitely first. I am not because you're editing this week and I did the whole gluten thing last week. Okay, fine, I'm first. <laughs> I just feel like I'm always first, which is obviously I'm wrong because we alternate. If you're not or first, try to you're last. And, that's the, and this is the only positive way to use that saying. <laughs> when in a podcast format. format. Oh, is this my research? Wow, I wrote way more than I thought I did. Okay, ready? Here we go. <laughs> okay, what'd you pick? This topic was recommended by one of our listeners whose name is Becca. She told me about this urban legend, and so that is uh, why I chose it, because I do whatever Becca tells me to do. <laughs> this is the urban legend of the melon heads. Ooh, what the heck? Have, I know, I hadn't heard of them either, and then when I was reading about it, I was like, I'm shocked I haven't. Is it what I'm picturing? A human with an enlarged head? Uh, I'm picturing a human or a creature with a actual melon on their head, like a watermelon. Uh, close, but <laughs> wrong. <laughs> okay. So the melon heads, technically, they're in different, a few different states, but we're going to first focus on the melon heads in Ohio because I believe that's somewhat the location where the urban legend may have been born. It is about these freaky little tiny human-like creatures, supposedly people with enlarged heads that roam around the lands of Kirkland, Ohio, frightening anyone who crosses their path. Oh, gosh. So there are a few different legends surrounding the melon head, so I'm just going to list off like three to five versions of the story. Okay. One goes that the government was conducting some... Can you say secret if we're talking about it now? Some secret. It was Slash not so secret testing on humans. It was secret. It was a secret, but now it's not. Okay. But maybe it still is because there's no confirmation. Right. Or maybe they're withholding information. Just like they are in Area 51. Call your senator. And I'm not really sure exactly what the testing was or like what the government was trying to accomplish by doing this testing. But the urban legend goes that there was a group of people who were in this government testing and basically the result of the testing of the experiment was that their heads swelled and they had these hairless massive swollen heads what so like any government experiment theory goes they tried to cover up what had happened and so the government moved the subjects in the cover of night to a location in the middle of the woods where they would then stay in hiding for the rest of their lives, only occasionally seen by the locals. This is why you don't do a government testing or don't participate yeah. in one. My grandpa did. <laughs> Back in the day, I don't think he's allowed to talk about it, but yep. there's a television show about it. <laughs> hint, 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 hint. Okay. Um, so in this version of, version of the urban legend, the melon heads are said to be somewhat satisfied with their living conditions. Like the government set them up, gave them food, like they're set, they're taken care of. On occasion, they might get a little stir crazy and venture outside of their little bubble in the woods mm-hmm. so that they end up a little closer to town and certain residents would spot them. But for the most part, they're these just like docile creatures. It's just kind of scary to see to see them because you're not expecting that and you don't quite understand it right in another version of the story there is a doctor dr crow who had been a nuclear scientist during the war war 
and the radiation caused all of his future children to be born with enlarged craniums. And the government, again, wanting to hide their missteps, um, paid the Crow family out and put them up in a farmhouse in the middle of the woods to keep quiet and not expose what was the result of this nuclear testing. Interesting. Another tale goes that Dr. Crow, this is one that paints him in a not-so-nice light, Dr. Crow kidnapped or sold, I mean, bought people from a mental hospital, and then he performed many experiments on them, including um, a lot of experiments that had to do with the head. So the melon heads are actually Mm. not swollen in this one, as people assume they are, but they're just rather misshapen from the experiments, and that's why people think that they're, like, different and big heads, because they're just uh, reconstructed weird. weird. That makes me think that they were injecting something into the cranium, like right into the brain, which right, made yeah. it like swell with fluids. Yeah, that and that's part of like a few of the, there's like a ton and ton and ton of different versions of this. And I just wrote down a few. Um, but also in this one, the melon heads are supposed to be somewhat subdued from all of the different procedures. They will wander off, but they mean no harm and they're often found again by Mr. Crow and brought back. Another version, also involving Dr. Crow, is a little more loving. And this one involves his wife as well. And it's said that they cared for children with hydrocephalus, which is the condition where there's swelling around the brain. And usually, like, a shunt is um, put into the skull to help drain the fluids. Oh, interesting. If anyone knows anything about that. I don't. I have a family member who had it, so, or has it. Um But the town, I guess, was not very well receptive to these children with hydrocephalus. And they nicknamed them the Melon Heads, which is where the name comes from. And they would mock them, tease them. Like, it was horrible. And so Mrs. Crow wanted to protect these kids. And so she moved into the woods. Her and her husband, Dr. Crow, moved into the middle of the woods where no one could hurt the children. But then one day, Mrs. Crow passed away, and the children were just in shock. They were inconsolable. This was the person who cared for them, who loved them most out of everyone. And the children were running around the woods searching for her. They were just freaking out. They didn't know how to deal. They um, just, I mean, Dr. Crow was trying to console them, but nothing Mm. could help. It was to no avail. And so the children ended up starting a fire in the home which then consumed mr crow and all of the children and then the melon heads that people see in the woods today are actually the ghosts of the children who died in the fire these are like dark i mean regardless of what the truth is behind this legend they're all really dark and sad i know are you are you drawing yeah i'm drawing a melon head it's like you seem to be pretty focused and i can see your arm moving (laughs) (laughs) i'm picking different melons to put on the head the first one i did was a watermelon i'm gonna do a honeydew next all right so there's a bunch of different urban legends and honestly sometimes urban legends can seem a bit unbelievable especially with so many varying stories behind the legend and it's just like okay well what actually happened if this is a real thing right but in this case, witnesses say that the melon heads, regardless of their backstory, regardless of whether you think that one story is true over the other or maybe none at all, the witnesses are here to tell you that they are very much real. 
Do you want to see my honeydew? Sure. <laughs> kind of looks like an avocado or demogorgon. Oh, it does look like a demogorgon. All right. So people have come across these melon heads. They've seen them on the side of roads, along the woods, in various locations. And some people, especially teenagers, shocker. Mm-hmm. try to seek out the melon heads and go hunting for them. Not really hunting. It's not like they're going to do anything, but like, you know, searching, searching finding. Yeah. F- try, yeah, just in for a scare. I'm sure there are people who probably hunt them, which is just... That's horrible. But really, it kind of goes the other way around. <gasps> Ooh! <laughs> they're getting their revenge. The melon heads are said to be spotted most frequently near uh, Wisner Road near Chardon and also King Memorial Road and King Memorial Cemetery. And you may be like, okay, well, don't go to those three places. Yeah, I definitely just took them off my bucket list. (laughs) Yeah, like just maybe avoid those places at night or like don't walk into the woods. And also these are just supposed to be these large-headed people. So like no big deal, right? Right. But as I alluded to before, people who've come across them say that there's something a bit more menacing about the melon heads and that people who go down the wooded paths in the areas where the melon heads are supposedly living and staying, the melon head territory, they have seen an unusual amount of mutilated animals. <gasps> Ooh. They would be like dismembered and sometimes just like a stray bone would be found people have thought that they see human bones it's just realistically like it's probably their prey right you know like right. you gotta eat so they're just like any other animal trying to survive in the woods but it's just a little frightening yeah they often will kill deer and other larger animals and while animals seem to be the melonheads victims of choice on a regular day-to-day basis it's said that they will attack humans during the full moon <gasps> and only in the darkness of night Ooh, spooky they're like uh werewolves sort of yeah and they also supposedly have bad vision so they come out at night to do their hunting So if you are, for some reason, deciding to go into the woods or those known locations, Melonhead territory, you should wear dark clothing because it will be more difficult for them to detect you. But also, you can avoid detection by not going into the woods. (laughs) Like, what purpose do you have to go there? You can't say you're hunting. You're not allowed to hunt in the night. Hiking trails, most of them close at sundown. You can be in a tent, but, like, I'm sure there's no legal campgrounds around there yeah so give me another reason to stay inside at your house and don't tempt your fate don't tempt the melon heads you know what i'm just wondering what if they what if they're not the ghosts of these people who um were tested on by the government but what if because of the testings these people have lived for this many years and they'll never die oh my gosh well so there was another theory that it was people from like the nuclear testing or even people from other areas and locations i I, like hate when people are like oh they took people from the insane asylum but like no that was one of them and And they did that lived out here and they inbred and now the result of all the inbreeding is these deformed enlarged heads and people who don't quite fit in right it's like the hills have eyes 
uh, yeah, it's so awful. But the government did this. Like in the prisons episode that we did, the prison that I did, they the government came in and tested all kinds of things on the inmates. They did because, I mean, like now we have a bunch of protections for people. But back then it was like, number one, they didn't really know what they were doing. Which is like now the yeah. thing, it's like you don't, you can't do that if you don't know. You can't just like take yeah. people who aren't able to say, yes, do this to me mm-hmm. and do something that you're uncertain of to them but like yeah i mean even the testing of lsd and like all those drugs like they didn't know and how else were they supposed to know right we have to have these missteps in our history to move forward and learn as long as we're learning okay so to recap the legend there are large-headed humans or at least human-looking figures living in the woods they attack animals and on the full moon they branch out and include humans as acceptable prey however Legend and reality differ slightly, and reality is even scarier. Oh, no. Oh, no. Full moon, crescent moon, no moon at all. It doesn't matter! Because mm. melon heads are, in fact, violent, stalking creatures year-round who will find you and hunt you. And I don't think that they're actually human. They're supposed to be these small, childlike figures, but... Given their inhuman speed, I feel like they're more of like an alien creature sort of thing. Oh, gosh. Now I'm thinking of like a skinwalker mixed with Dear David. That's, yeah, oh my god, literally. Oh, I was thinking skinwalker too, but I was like, but they all choose the same form. And so I I wasn't really sure what to think of it. But yeah, Uh, Sabrina, that's like the scariest version (laughs) Dream about that tonight. So this guy, his name was Jay, and he was driving with his brother along Mitchell's Mill, and he saw a flash of something dark by the tree. And he asked his brother if his brother saw it, and his brother was like, um, yeah, I think I got a good enough look. And they just turned that car around, and they headed home. Good And they're call. certain that they saw a melon head. All these stories that I'm about to, to tell you, people made the right call. <laughs> Okay, that's no good No one to know. hung around too long. A man named Paul was at a party in the summer of 1964 when he heard the legend, the story be told about the melon heads. And then another kid at the party was like, well, I know where the melon heads home is. So like, we should their go. home? Yes, their cabin in the woods. Excuse me? Why would you ever? Because they're 14. I know. But like, oh, God. <laughs> I wouldn't have done that at 14 years old, ever. Yeah. Uh, But all these kids were like, let's do it. And so they got into the car and they headed that way. But on the way there, a police officer pulled them over. And he was like, where are you guys headed? And then they told him the area where they were heading. And instead of being like a, you know, like, ha, 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 these silly kids. Like, Uh there's no such thing as melon heads. Like, good luck, you weirdos. The cop got really serious and oh he God. spent a lot of time trying to convince them not to go there and that melon heads aren't there. And the kids weren't really like buying it and they they weren't really responding the way that the cop had hoped. And so the cop ended up bringing them in to the police station to get picked up okay, by their parents. Good. I was going to say, just arrest them at that point. <laughs> Literally, he did. But this only convinced all of the kids that there really are melon heads and really is something over there because why else would the cop be like you mustn't go i have to do anything in my power to stop you from going into that area i wonder if because he worked for the police department they were like filled in on what happened to these people for real but he couldn't tell the kids the real reason because 
he signed an NDA and he's not allowed to tell. Well, yeah, but that's if the melon heads are actually real, then that's insinuating that they still live there. Yeah. If he's like, you can't go. <gasps> what if they're still doing the tests? And the local police station is in on it. I think we've just uncovered a conspiracy. If Corinne and I disappear, you'll know who did it. Find us in the upside down, please. <laughs> More recently, in October. Jesus Christ, that's the shit out of me. The people who live above me rearrange their furniture every single day. What? It sounds like moving couches and chairs and beds and everything. It's like, can you just sit for a second, please? Maybe they like change. Is she hammering something into the wall? Oh, God, I hate these people. (laughs) City life. I think this is just like, honestly, the episode of Friends where... The guy who lives below them that always complains about how loud they are. Yeah. They go down to his apartment and like the slightest noise makes a huge noise in his apartment. That's how I feel. Yeah. Okay. So October of 2001, a guy named Tony was in the car with his family and they were driving through Chardon when they turned onto a road that had fields on both sides. So instead of a forest, it was just fields. And in the irrigation ditch next to the road... He saw a small-ish human with a melon-sized head. A melon head. In the ditch. Just standing there in the ditch. And as their car passed, the melon head picked up speed and started running and keeping pace with the car. Tony watched in horror out the window because the car was going like 45, 50 miles per hour. The car eventually came up to a bend. The melon head gave up on the pursuit and jumped into the field. And they were like, thank freaking Jesus. But Tony said that the melon heads didn't look exactly like what everyone had described them to look like. They're not just like children with big heads. He said that they were different enough that he wasn't certain that they were actually human. They had holes where their ears were supposed to be. And their eyes were super enlarged as well. So it's almost like an alien. Oh. The melon head was wearing human clothing, was dressed, but the clothes were ripped and torn and very, very old looking or just like worn out looking. It's like black eyed kids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like it it was out of fashion style, but it was just like they he should have been given a new shirt like five years ago sort of thing. And Tony noted that some parts of the clothing that were starting to separate were then almost like sewn together, tied together with corn husks. It's so confusing. Living off the land. Another man reported that his dog was barking like crazy outside. So he went outside to investigate and found his dog laying down on the ground, bleeding, (gasps) injured. And this small human-like figure with an enlarged head was next to the dog but as soon as this guy spotted him the melon head ran into the woods and the next day the man followed the tracks into the woods but lost the tracks at the stream what the heck right oh that breaks so Chardon, ohio kirkland ohio it's kind of freaky like that area is it very woodsy i mean i've never been to ohio but my dad <laughs> went used to go hunting there so i assume it's all woods <laughs> that's how i picture it okay woods and deer everywhere wow this region is just known for their melon heads but michigan and connecticut have similar legends and many melon head sightings so three different states all have melon head sightings 
One sighting was at the Felt Mansion in Michigan. This girl, Kelly, and all of her friends were there exploring the grounds when they spotted, far away in the distance, a very large-headed man. And he was walking towards them. And so one of them was like, hello? To, you know, mm-hmm. be like, hi, hello. And the man grunted in reply and then began to pick up his speed towards them to <gasps> no! close the distance between them. And luckily they were close to their car and he was further oh away. God. So they freaking ran to their car, got in, and they sped away before they became face to face with the melon head. That's terrifying. Just a man walking in a straight line towards you and then picking up pace. Like no. sprinting at you. It's like the scene in Get Out. I hate sprinting. It's so bad. Also, the Felt Mansion. Is this the family that created Felt or is the home completely covered in Felt? I think it's a house crafted completely in Felt. Okay. That's what I was imagining. And I'd love to live there, please. The inventors of felt made that house out of felt, and they sew buttons on their eyes. A very affordable home. Let's do it. A felt home? Yeah, and then clearly it attracts visitors and will make money based off all of the people coming to visit us, and then we'll buy that penthouse you want in Beacon Hill. Freaking yes. I bought a lotto ticket this week. Everybody <laughs> Powerball, or no, it's Mega Millions. It's at like the all-time high. I hope you win. So if I win... Peace out, my friends. We'll skip the felt mansion. (laughs) Skip the felt mansion. I'm going straight to Beacon Hill. I'm going to make myself a little podcast studio. Nice. I'm going to be living my life. (laughs) It's going to be a cat-free zone. Well, I guess I won't be coming to visit then. (laughs) I was waiting for that. (laughs) Just a death glare, like staring into my soul like I could have, like I just said the most insulting thing to you in the world. Well, you basically did. I don't, I can't think of anything worse you could have said to me. You have to understand. It's because I'm allergic. (laughs) Oh, you should have a room for me. And there's just lots of kitty cats. (laughs) Okay, in Connecticut, so we did did Ohio. We did Michigan. Now I'm going to leave you with one story from Connecticut. The melon heads are said to hang out by a street that's nicknamed Dracula Drive. (gasps) And this is where Megan's group of friends went out post-high school football game. And they went to go do some exploring. But when they got out and they began looking in the woods, all of a sudden they heard the car of the person who drive them, Debbie. Everyone has a name in the story. They listed out like literally every single person's name that was in the car. But I was like, that's too much. Like, we, I don't care about those other characters. <laughs> I only care about Megan who wrote about it and Debbie who had the car and was driving. Okay. And unknown others. Brittany, Ashley, Lauren... Emily, if we're going based on the people who were in our classes growing up. Wait, I know them. Do you? Yeah, I'm so glad you said their names because I wouldn't have known (laughs) otherwise. Okay, well, (laughs) I'm glad I did too. (laughs) So they're all like searching and then all of a sudden they hear Debbie's car turn on. And everyone who had been in the car was out in the woods together in a group. And so they're like, who the hell is turning on the car? So they go back, walk a few paces back to see the car. And once they're in the car's view and step into the headlights, the car suddenly accelerates towards them. Oh, no, no. And luckily, they all got out of the way. They ducked. They escaped injury. And then they hid in the woods. And then out of the car comes small, almost children-sized, human-like, massive-headed 
No. Melon heads. They can drive, yep. too. <gasps> they can do anything. <laughs> and there have been many, 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 many more sightings reported of melon heads. People have seen them on the side of the road, at the edge of the woods, oh drinking God. from streams, chasing animals through the woods. I thought you were going to say drinking from straws. And I was like, melon heads do that? They hate turtles. They hate them. <laughs> They're ruining the environment. It's all, it's nothing we've done. It's completely melon heads. They're just destroying, <laughs> like releasing CO2, like it's no one's business into the air. They're trying to destroy Earth. Their hot breath just melts the icebergs. <laughs> Scientists and wildlife workers who have to go in via their job to the woods, they have reported strange figures in the woods watching them as they... Oh monitor and collect data and try to just do their normal job oh so my question is okay could it be that these are not victims of experimentation birth defects nuclear testing inbredness yeah but instead creatures able to mimic human-like forms perhaps maybe some aliens who came down to earth Maybe rogue aliens who left their own home planet and were like, you know what? People don't really go into the woods over in Ohio. We can just hide there. Maybe they are fugitives of their own planet. Or maybe they were banished to Earth as the ultimate punishment. I wonder. They do sound like kind of alien-ish in their behaviors. They seem like a combination of so many other urban legends that we've talked about. I just, it's, I don't like them. And just going based off of the speed that they are said to be able to run, it does not make sense that they actually are humans because our bodies are not built to do that. Regardless of nuclear testing or whatever is pumped into your veins, your muscles, your tendons, like your physical form is not going to go 45 miles per hour. Right. And also, if the government was doing testing and that was one of the side effects, why don't they send them to the Olympics and win us more medals? That is a brilliant idea. (laughs) And if people are already going to use steroids, then that's exactly what they should (laughs) pump themselves with. Just these massive-headed, super-fast American athletes. The only reason I'll ever go in search of the melon heads is if I'm going to be their coach and lead them to a championship. Oh, my God. What is that movie? It was like Fox. Fox. Fox Catcher? Fox Catcher. Are you going to be... Steve Carell and Fox. <laughs> Steve Carell. I call being Channing Tatum. <laughs> Who doesn't someone bite someone's ear off? <laughs> Don't they do something? Van Gogh okay. cut his own ear off, so it's to true. each their own. <laughs> true. Melon heads are weird. I don't know how I feel about them. Does it make you want to eat melons? I do have watermelons in my water bottle. I also want to eat everything right now. So if you gave me a melon, I'd eat the whole thing right now. Let's hear your urban legend. This is an urban legend, but it's a mix of all kinds of things. It's like a legend and a curse. It's the Cursed Isles of Shoals. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Sabrina, (laughs) do you know where I was when I did that sailing regatta? I freaking went there. I totally took pictures. I probably should have talked about this. Corinne, you were lucky to have survived. (gasps) I went into the grave, the cemeteries and everything which island did you I go walked to into the, or did you go to all of them um i went to the main island that has the hotel on it because the that's star the island banquet. star island yes and then well i don't want to ruin okay you just you, you okay. tell your thing 
Well, I was excited about this one because it is off the coast of Portsmouth. And it presents us this beautiful, charming set of islands, the perfect place for a seaside picnic, a romantic date, a bit of fishing, a sailing regatta. But yep. we were we were on the boat called Potato and we did not win, but we Wait, made did you know called the Smash Potatoes? Did you know today's National Pasta Day and I want to eat pasta? Well, good thing I had macaroni and cheese you for dinner. You freaking champion. I had it last night too. Oh, jealous. <laughs> okay, so this island seem these islands seem great, picturesque, but since the 1800s, the nine islands that are 10 miles off of Portsmouth have been very haunted and cursed. There are sounds of screams, there are pirates, murderers, a fiery ship, a gang of poltergeists, and an abandoned lighthouse. And those are just the few of the haunted happenings on the shores of the Isle of Shoals. I'm so excited. You can be on the mainland and hear tortured souls whisper across the sea, their voices echoing from shore to 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 shore. That was me echoing. Uh, <laughs> did such a good job. Thank you. My echo? I should be a bat. <laughs> a history of violence and pain has actually left behind these ghosts of tortured souls. So basically a little background of the Isle of Shoals. They are a group of small islands. There are nine in total, eight depending on the tide. When it's high tide, there are only eight. And then when it's low tide, there are nine. But... They border Maine and New Hampshire, so half of them are kind of territories of New Hampshire and some of them are territories of Maine. And Mm -hmm. they were originally used for seasonal fishing camps by indigenous Americans and then were settled by Europeans in the early 17th century. And then they became prominent fishing areas for the young British and French colonies. They were named after Captain John Smith and... They are not very hospitable islands. They're covered in brush and poison ivy. I think less so now. But, yeah, they're not really ideal places to live. They still don't look great, and they're really cold. And also, a detail that I'm sure probably aren't in the articles is that when you're in the mainland and you look out on the Isle of Shoals, they move. Like, every time you look out, they look like they're in a different spot. Sometimes they look so far away. Whoa. Sometimes they look like you could swim there. It's crazy. Well, it's interesting because that seems to be a common thread within the hauntings too, like perception of things. Things move in front of your eyes and then also things that seem close. You'll try to walk towards them and they never get closer while you're on the islands. Yeah. The reason that people were so attracted to these islands is because of the fishing. And there are records that indicated that fishermen used to pull out cod that weighed between 100 to 150 pounds. That's like pulling a fish that's the size of you or me, Corinne. Mm-hmm. That's pulling a full-sized two girls, one ghost fish out of the sea. <laughs> and that's like dead weight and like something really trying to not be in your arms. Right. Have you ever tried to pick up a dead weight fighting person that's 150 pounds? No, I, I have not. I don't think I've ever been in a position to do so. But with these fishermen... There was lots of booze and, Corinne, your favorite, pirates. Pirates. And among some of the famous pirates, there were Captain Kidd and Edward Teach, who is better known as Blackbeard, Captain Blackbeard. There were lots of ships, the lots of sinking ships. There was, uh, in 1842, a ship called Isadore, which sunk and killed everyone on board. And these countless 
Pirates' deaths were attributed to the famous pirates, and all these deaths result in creating these legends that persist to this day. So, let's get into the ghosts. Okay. So there are, I'll talk about some specific islands. So Appledore Island is in Maine, and it's the largest of the Isles of Shoals. It's formerly known as Hog Island, and was the home to a very popular summer hotel called the Appledore Hotel. It was opened mm-hmm. by Thomas Layton and Levi Thaxter, and it opened in 1848. And Layton's daughter, Celia Thaxter, who you might recognize because she's one of the most famous poets of the 19th century, she married Levi Thaxter and... She would live in this uh, this hotel with her dad and her husband, and they would host many art events on the island. She would invite lots of authors, artists, painters, etc. And a lot of them actually wrote or created art about the islands. Mr. Thaxter, Celia's husband, once had a man living with him who had said he had seen Old Bab, the ghost. And he met him between the hotel and the sea and describes him as dressed in a sort of frock with a very dreadful countenance. Old Bab is reported to have been a crew member of the infamous pirate Captain Kidd. And Captain Kidd was not a good guy. And this is why I don't want you to date a pirate. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, they're hard to come by, so probably <laughs> won't. Yeah. He supposedly killed his entire crew in order to protect his treasure that he had buried because I guess they knew the loca- location of it. So he was like, well, I guess I have to kill them all. So Philip Bab was one of his crew members who is now referred to as Old Bab, and he walks near the shores of the cove that bears his name. And according to Celia Thaxter, Philip Bab or Old Bab haunted the hotel. And his neck, if you, if you saw him, he had the mark of a noose around his neck. And apparently a lot of locals would employ him to frighten their bad-behaving children. So basically if a child misbehaved, they'd say, Old Bab's going to come and get you. Oh, God. (laughs) And then Appledore Island is also home to Betty Moody's Hole. And as the story goes, a vicious war broke out between the locals and the Native Americans. And in order to try to save herself, this woman, Betty, who had a young child, fled to the island and hid in the hole with her child. It was a long and low and narrow hole and it's still on the island now so you can go see it it's named after her and she hid in there and thought she would be safe she held her child in her arms but the baby began to cry and betty was afraid that they would be discovered and so she murdered her child to save herself and she has been seen wandering around the island and crying and it seems like she can't find the spirit of her child or that's how what's believed years later in 1846 a young woman was sitting on the rocks that extended out to the ocean when a massive wave struck her, throwing her off her balance. And as she tried to get up to flee back to land, another wave crashed upon her and carried her off into the sea, and she was never seen again. And so she is also believed to be seen wandering the island, confused and lost, and people will see her and try to approach her, and she'll just stare off into the distance, almost not recognizing or acknowledging your existence. Then in 1879, the Boston painter William Morris Hunt was visiting Celia at her one of her art gatherings when he disappeared. And then Celia was walking along the shore and came across his body. He had apparently drowned, but there are reports that claimed it was suicide, but it was never clear. And his spirit is seen wandering the island as well. And then in 1914, the hotel was lost to a fire and has never been rebuilt. Then there is Star Island, which is the one that you said you were at. That's This is the yes. most populated island, and it's the second largest island in the Isle of Shoals. And it's actually 
a religious and educational conference center owned by Star Island Corporation, which is affiliated with the United Church of Christ. I didn't, I did not know that. (laughs) And also by most populated, like, it's most populated by people who live on the island to take care of the island. Right, yeah. It's not like, there aren't many real residents there. There's a hotel on this island. Yes, and then the people who take care of the island live on the top floors. So Star Island was once home to a booming community, and it still features a 150-year-old chapel, a hotel, an orig- and some of the original village houses. And the Star Island Hotel, it's very popular and also very haunted, called the Oceanic Hotel, has ghosts that manifest around on the third and fourth floors of the hotel and sound as if they're moving furniture like your upstor- upstairs neighbors. Mm-hmm. And it's as if they're searching through dressers and drawers and trying to move furniture around. So people on the fourth floor will hear this noise, and above them is only the attic, and there's absolutely nothing in the attic to be moved. So it's phantom sounds. And doors will slam on their own. And then also the men's restroom is said to have haunting visits from a 17th century guest. But it's not clear who he is. And also the chapel on the island. Wait. Oh, my gosh. What? Okay. So while I was there... My cousin needed to – she needed something from a bathroom. And so there was nothing in the bathroom that we all had access to down in the banquet hall. And so one of the people working there was like, oh, just go up to, like, the fourth floor, like, third floor or whatever. Uh-huh. And the, there's a bathroom up there, and it's, like, in the residence hall. Uh-huh. And she said that there's a sign that says something like, um, this spot is haunted. She was like, I wish I had my phone so I could have taken a picture. Oh, man, that would have been But there's cool. a sign somewhere up there that just, like, says something about, like, a certain location being haunted, and I bet that's it. I bet you that is. Wait, that's awesome. I wonder if there's a picture online. Then also the chapel on the island is supposed to be filled with ghosts, and over the years people will hear singing coming from within the church, but when they go inside, there's no one there. They also see people's faces in the windows of the church, but... Again, no one is inside. I went into the church. You did? Yeah. Less spooky. There's an arts and crafts barn, and anyone who lives in the Isle of Shoals can go to the barn and just go in and do arts and crafts. There's a ton of supplies there. It's super cute. That's awesome. I love that. There's also reports of a very strange black dog with bright red eyes roaming around the island at night, which just sounds terrifying. Sounds like a hellhound. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't chase you, which is good. Apparently, if you walk towards it, it just disappears. So I don't really know what it's doing. But apparently, way back when, before anyone lived on this island or built buildings on it, the Native Americans would tell English explorers not to go to Star Island because there was something evil that was not of this world on the land. But of Ooh. course, they didn't listen, and they went and they built a town on top of it because we don't listen to anyone there are you also went to the cemetery right yeah there are two cemeteries there's one that's on the map and then there's one that's not on the map Ooh, okay tourist attraction is but my uncle was like i know where the other one is so we basically walked around we did the entire island it's small it's small we walked around the whole thing in like 30 minutes Well, I don't know what cemetery this is, but there are three sisters who in 1863 all died within a week of each other, and they all died of scarlet fever, and they are buried on the island. They have graves, and they're 
all three of them are seen wandering the island. People hear children's laughter. They see three little girls playing together near the grave sites. And a lot of times they'll just vanish when you mm-hmm. look at them. I'm sure it's so confusing because you're far enough away. You feel far enough away out there. And it's yeah. like basically a rock with a little bit of grass on it. And it's cold and it's windy. And there is a lighthouse on the other island next to it that constantly is making like blaring noises. Yeah. I would imagine you'd think that you're going a little bit mad. Yep, probably. If you lived on there alone, oh gosh, I am sure. That reminds me of the movie. I think it's a book too, A Light Between Oceans. It's a little slow, but great. It's also like The Shining, just like anywhere being alone in any in any situation you kind of it's like a sense of cabin fever when you start to go a little crazy yeah but this is actually the island that most people have visual hauntings where they'll look at something and it will move and vibrate in front of their eyes and multiple people will see like rocks shaking gosh and then multiple people will see it at the same time but then all of a sudden they go to touch it and it stops oh i don't know what that is but there's also some i don't know either but it is like you said like the visual perception thing because i mean isle of shoals are freaky enough from the actual coast of new hampshire and maine Mm -hmm. because they're further than closer than left than right than straight on like they're all over the place and so they're already a little freaky so to actually be there at night oh so creepy And then off of Star Island, for over 200 years, there have been reports of seeing a boat on fire in the ocean. And they have no idea where that story came from or why there would be a phantom ship on fire in the waters, but it's there. And people have been seeing it for the last 200 years. Jeez. Ghost hunters actually did an investigation on the island, and there's a whole episode about it. They found a ton of stuff. So basically a lot of the stuff that I said they caught or saw and then there is smutty nose island yes 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 this is what i was waiting for mm-hmm. here you go here's a picture i was on star island but that's smutty nose in the distance can you see with the little oh, I see house it. and i was gonna walk across the rocks but then there was a sign that says do not walk across the rocks so i listened because i don't want to die for the best because <laughs> smutty nose island while it's the third largest is the most haunted island with the most horrific past. It is the site of Blackbeard's honeymoon, the shipwreck of the Spanish ship Sagunto, and it's the location of the notorious 1873 murders of two young women. So as legend goes, Blackbeard and his 15th wife, apparently he had 17 wives, but this was number 15, another reason not to marry a pirate, uh... Apparently, so they were on their honeymoon at Smutty Nose Island (laughs) in 1720, and they were not alone. His entire crew was there as well, but they kept their distance. It was basically like his security guards. But he had a strong affinity for Smutty Nose Island because he had been there on many occasions before he was even the captain of his ship. And they were on their honeymoon. It was romantic until he learned that British forces were coming after him. So he became desperate, and he really wanted to keep his treasure safe. Not his wife, his treasure. And Although if he has 17 wives, do do you think he actually had treasure, or do you think the booty is just the the wives? I think he liked his... Protect the booty! (laughs) Well, he did not protect his booty in this case, so I'm going to say that the booty was his gold and pirate treasure and not his wives. Um, 
he wanted to keep his treasure safe in case the British did catch up to him. So he decided to bury it on the island. But he was like, I can't just leave it here unattended. But then I can't stay because if I leave, someone else will become captain of my ship and it's my ship. I have such a big ego. I can't not be the captain. Everyone needs me. <laughs> and so he found a solution. Leave his wife there to watch over the treasure. No. And he told her that he would come back for her. But, but uh, spoiler alert, he didn't. Um, well, he had so many, he probably forgot that he left her. That's probably you know? very true. Or he found another one. It's hard enough like, to remember oh, 17 her. people's names. He probably didn't even know what they looked like at that point. It's like, you're number 15, aren't you? I bet he could recognize them by their booty. Ill-gotten booty. Sorry, I just like the word booty. It's a great word. Show me a booty. Um, so he left his wife behind and he sailed off with the rest of his crew. And his wife stayed on the island without food, without water, and she stayed and watched over the treasure, pacing the shore back and forth, looking out for Blackbeard's ship. And as time passed, she seemed to go crazy and pace the shore saying, he will return. He will return. And she spent the last days of her life doing this exact thing, saying she will, he will return. Oh, poor lady. And she died. But it seems like her ghost is still doing the same thing because a man who was visiting Smutty Nose Island saw a woman pacing back and forth at the shore. And so he approached her and was like, are are you okay? Do you need anything? And she just looked at him dead in the eyes and said, he will return and disappeared. I just got full body (laughs) chills. Can you imagine? You're just having a day out on the ocean you're sailing on by. You're going like four miles per hour because that's all your sailboat can do. Mm-hmm. And you go up to this woman and then realize she's freaking batshit and Dead. a ghost. <laughs> yeah. No, it's I can't like, imagine. You can't sail away very quick. No. And she might be in the water for all you know. She might be able to swim. Oh my she's God. a ghost. What if she freaking swam <gasps> at you? Can you imagine? Oh, my God. No. Worse? No. Just Ew. starts slowly walking into the water, her white dress. <sighs> like floating up at the her. surface, but her head, oh, like her hair and her dress is floating at the surface, but she's going really fast. She's going really fast, and just her head is, her whole body's unmoving, but she's zooming towards you. Like a shark. And then she disappears, and then you hear a thud underneath your butt. Ah! And then all of a sudden you capsize. She's latched on. Joining her, and you will wait for Blackbeard to return. An obvious question that I had was, what about the treasure? If she died and Blackbeard never returned, that means he didn't get his treasure back. So, it appears that someone may have found it. And his name is Samuel Haley because he moved to the island and decided to build a house there, which he paid for the construction of using three, sorry, four bars of pirate silver. So, it seems like he found the treasure on the Mm. island and was like, this is a sign that I need to live here and build a house here and collect the rest of it. So maybe he found all of it. And or maybe his, the money is cursed and people go mad there and so you should not live there. Right. Well, because his ghost is still there. He And his house is actually one of two buildings remaining on the island and it's a historic landmark. So you can go visit it now if you want. And his spirit is sometimes seen roaming the house. Okay. And then there are two shipwrecks. The one, the first one is Sagunto. 
which happened in 1813. And this is actually one of the visual hauntings that that has been experienced in this area and is kind of feeds into the urban legend of the islands because all of a sudden a storm rolled in. It was a night in January and the water became very vicious. They were kind of rocking back and forth within the water. And all of a sudden the ship was blown into a smutty nose island and it wrecked. And all of the crew was kind of soaking wet, trying to find a way to survive. And all of a sudden they see this beacon of light down the way in on the island. And so they all start crawling their way towards it. But no matter how far or fast they traveled, the light never got closer. But then the next morning, Samuel Haley, who owned the house, which had the light shining, woke up, went outside, and found the bodies of 14 men who had died trying to reach his house. And Sam and his entire family had slept through the storm, slept through the sounds of these men calling for help, which is just almost unbelievable because yeah a whole family sleeping through a massive storm and people screaming for help is that just seems very again questionable you should watch a light between oceans okay i have to because they have a really big storm i mean it's it's not it's not a scary movie but there's a really big storm in the storms when you're out on the water even 10 miles out Mm -hmm. it's so different interesting but so much louder think shutter island oh i love shutter island Sam also noticed that these men, a lot of their mouths were open as if they had been had died in the midst of crying for help, which is just oh eerie. God, how, and I wonder how close they were. A lot, like some of them were like on the wall right outside of his property. That's so horrible. Yeah. Ugh. Something kept them from making right. it. Sam and his family buried the men side by side on the island, but their souls are still seen on the shore of the island. And a lot of people who are passing by in boats will see men standing on the edge of the island calling out for help. And people will kind of like drift in because they think someone needs help and then the men will disappear. So it's believed to be You know what? I just have to pause and say Mm -hmm. the Isle of Shoals are so small the largest island takes you 30 minutes to explore the entire thing. For yeah. this amount of spirits to be present on all of these islands, it it makes me think that they can all hold hands and just oh, create a yeah. train across the, <gasps> all of the islands because there are so many of them. Ah, that's so creepy to think of. But yes, they probably could. Yeah, they can run across the little rocks that connect some of the islands together. So, that is not the only ship that has crashed off of Smuttyville Island. Smuttyville. Smutty Nose Island. <laughs> and the second ship is the ship of Isidore. It wrecked in 1842 and is still seen sailing between the cluster of islands. But all of this being said, the island is best known for the two murders that occurred there. John and Marin, Marin Hunt Vet left Norway in 1866 for the promise of what America had to offer them. And they moved to Boston, but didn't like it. And then as soon as they could afford it, they moved to Smutty Nose Island and bought a house. And when they started to make enough money, they brought the rest of their family to America, and he started a fishing business. So eventually it was his whole family was living there. It was him, his wife, so John, Marin, uh, his brother, Michael, his and then Marin's sister and Marin's brother and Marin's sister-in-law. So it was like a big family affair that all lived in this house on Smutty Nose Island. 
And John met a Prussian immigrant named Louis Wagner, who lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And he was down on his luck at the time and asked John for a job. So John agreed. Fast forward to March 6th of 1873, Marin and her sister Karen and their sister-in-law Aneth sat at home on Smutty Nose Island while their husbands were all away for the night due to a delay in their fishing equipment or fishing shipment. So basically they had gone to Portsmouth to town to get a shipment and that they were going to bring back to Smutty Nose, but it was late. So they had to spend the night in Portsmouth and wait for it to, to arrive. And they ran into Louis Wagner and told him the situation. So Wagner had an idea. And at 8 p.m. that night, Wagner stole a boat a rowboat from the wharf in Portsmouth and rowed for five hours over 10 miles across the ocean in freezing... Like a freaking open ocean. Open ocean. rowboat. In freezing cold March weather. This guy was stupid. Yep. He rowed all the way to Smutty Nose Island. He docked the boat because he knew the island so well. He docked the boat on the south side of the island and walked through the snow directly to the only occupied house on the island. So not only is this family, like, living on an island, they are the only ones living on this island. And Wagner knew this. So he walks to the house, the same house in which Marin, Karen, and Aneth were getting ready for bed. Mm -hmm. And Marin and Aneth were both sleeping in the downstairs bedroom while Karen was on a makeshift bed in the kitchen. Karen was sleeping when the hinge of the kitchen door began to creak open causing the family dog, I think it's pronounced Ringe, R-I-N-G-E, Ringe, began to bark. And the barking is what woke Karen. And Karen sprung awoke, sprung awake, and she like thought that the men had gotten home from Portsmouth for some reason. That like maybe they got their shipment and they came back, came back early. And she looked up, and it was dark, so she couldn't really see, but all she could see was a figure of a man. And... All of a sudden, this man grabbed a chair, raised it over his head, and started bringing it up and down, repeatedly beating Karen with it. And Karen began screaming, and she was saying, John, John, stop. John's killing me, because she thought it was her sister's husband coming home. And those screams woke up Marin and Karen, Marin and Aneth. And Marin ran to the kitchen and saw the man, saw Wagner. He stopped for a minute, and Marin grabbed Karen, dragged her into the bedroom, closed the door shut, but the killer began banging on the door. So Marin looked around. The only option was to jump out of the bedroom window. And Karen is now bloody and hardly breathing on the ground of the, be- of the bedroom. Marin's not sure how they're all going to survive this. And Aneth goes first. Aneth jumps out of the window. But Wagner had run out of the house at that time, grabbed an axe that they had kept to chip ice, and started hitting Aneth with it. And Marin saw Wagner raise the axe and kill Aneth with one horrible blow. So then Marin turned to Karen and tried to wake her, but it was too late. Karen was dying. There was no chance of them both surviving. So Marin jumped out the window and sprinted as fast as she could. And as she looked back, she saw Wagner back in the bedroom wielding the axe again. So it's believed that he then did the final blow to kill Karen. Oh my God, can you imagine? It's just horrible. And according to the story, the dog was with Marin, which is good. That means that Ring Ringe survived. And she decided to pick 
him up because she was afraid that if he was running beside her, he'd start barking and it would give away their location. So he, mm-hmm. so she carries the dog and runs and she's like, I don't know where to go. He knows this island so well. I can't go to the docks. Our boat isn't there. And like she just, it's a small island and there's no way to get to land. It's really small. Yeah. So she finds this one area and there's a, a, a few rocks jutting out towards the ocean and she just huddles up with the dog and hides and like gets as small as she possibly can and uses the dog for warmth because she's barefoot she's in her nightgown and she waits until morning and it's march it's winter so she stays there all night all the way until morning and even when the sun starts to rise she's not sure if she can go back because she doesn't know if this killer is still going to be there so she's kind of weighing her options like what do i do do i swim back to another island and try to get help there And luckily, she saw these three children playing across the waters on Appledore. And you just showed me this picture. Like, you can see across the islands. You can see people. So she starts... Yeah, they're pretty... They're really close to each other. Yeah. So she starts screaming to the children, and they call for help. And so she gets rescued. And Marin told the story of the murders and accused Wagner. And so the manhunt began. And And he was also, like, the police or whatever found him in a rowboat like that night yeah well and they had found him and he was fisherman or something he he was wearing a new suit and new clothes he had a haircut he had shaved his beard so he tried to change his like what he looked like is which is suspicious if you're gonna do that like why you know if you're an innocent man don't change your change your appearance the night and it's not like she was just pointing her finger at him and saying like oh he did this like there right. were witnesses out on the water that saw him in a rowboat coming going to from the island. the island or yeah. going to, whatever. Exactly. And by the time that they arrested him, they put him back on the train back to Portsmouth because that's where the they had to do the trial, like just in terms of like the, ex, I don't know what the shit laws are. Jurisdictions. And yeah, there you go. Jurisdiction. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he arrived and a crowd was carrying torches waiting for him and they were yelling things like, kill him. And just like, just like a actual mob of people trying to <laughs> fight for this, these poor innocent women who were murdered by him. And he was tried and convicted, but he maintained his innocence the entire time and he was hanged. So this is where the debate comes in is because even though it was such an airtight case, People started to believe this Wagner guy because, one, he was very charming and women started kind of flocking to him, similar to like nowadays when you hear of people writing to Charles Manson while he's in prison, you know. Because he maintained his innocence throughout, people were like, well, maybe he didn't do it and maybe Marin murdered her sisters or maybe it was John because Karen did scream, John, stop, and Marin was just trying to cover for him. But despite it, there are there are rumors of screams coming from the island late at night. And also the house that they lived in burnt down shortly after the murders. And it said that anyone who tries to build on top of that land, the house will burn down again. It's just so horrible. It's horrible. It's so sad. So there are just like countless numbers of spirits on these islands. And it seems like mm-hmm. most of the curse happens to ships and there is a phenomenon that occurred in the 1900s because it followed the murder of a woman on board a ship and 
She was murdered. And for 20 years following this, boats that were crewed by the same country of the original ship would be attacked during foggy storms. And like storms would happen all of a sudden when they came in the area. So, so many people would refuse to go that far out into the sea. They'd have to like uh, completely avoid the islands in order to stay, stay safe. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Wait, for how long was this? For 20 years in the 19- I'm glad 1900s. That, that, that I wasn't doing my sailboat races then. I know. That's why I'm saying you're lucky you survived because ships are seem to be targeted. But <laughs> there's only one way for commercial visitors to reach the island, and it's by boat. And um, they, there's a Isle of Shoals steamship company that provides dinner cruises, sightseeing tours, the ferry to Star Island. And then also you can stay on Star Island at the hotel. But good luck surviving. It's actually super pretty, but... Yeah, it looks gorgeous. There's something about being out on an island like that at night. And they even say... It's not like like, a tropical island. It's very different. And everyone, like every article I read said that regardless of how many people you're with, the second you get on those islands, you feel a very strange sense of isolation. Kind of like this overwhelming feeling that like... If anything were to happen, no one would ever be able to help you. You do. I was walking around with my cousin and my uncle and then my cousin's friend. There was the four of us who were doing the regatta together and just like walking around and walking through like because there are actual like houses like like actual like cabin and buildings and stuff set up like there's a church, there's a meeting right. house, there's whatever like function spots Um, And it's just as soon as you step away from the hotel and you walk through these areas or like walk through the gardens or walk past the pond or walk, you know, just like by the water's edge. It just feels Mm -hmm. it's so true. All of a sudden, like we were creeped out, like we walked by one of the meeting houses and outside there was a circle of chairs set up. There were like 20 chairs set in a circle, which it's like that should be normal like there's all these people who work right. on the island and probably powwowed before talking about what they were going to do to support everyone coming from the regatta you know it's like a mm-hmm. meeting and yet we were like this is so scary chairs are facing each other oh my gosh it felt scary and it was like 4 p.m right it was light out it was supposed to be a celebratory thing and yet we were all getting the creeps yeah it gives you that ominous feel Kind of like my mm-hmm. office is giving me right now. I know. We should hurry up and let you go home. <laughs> Listen to stories. I have been planning on reading this one for some time. Ooh. And I didn't know where to put it. And this one is the perfect episode to put it. And I'm glad because I had planned. I was like, oh, I'll read it in like a couple months from now. But now I get to read it freaking right now. Yes. I'm excited. What is it? This one is from Virginia. And it's called Local Folk- Folklore Fun Turned Real Life Horror. Oh, that doesn't sound fun. Hey, ladies. I happen to see you guys pop up on Spotify, and I've never listened to any kind of podcast in my life until I saw yours, and I had to click and listen. Aww. I adore you guys. Thanks for popping up on – thanks for popping my podcast, Cherry. <laughs> never thought of it that way. <laughs> so I come to you today with a bit of a long story, but so worth it, from several years ago. It will forever be ingrained in my memory. I suppose I will start by saying that in my late teens slash early 20s, my friends and I spent the majority of our summer nights ghost hunting in the multiple locations scattered around Long Island, New York. The place that we chose to explore on this particular night was Mount Misery and Sweet Hollow Road. We had been here many times before this night, 
as it was one of our favorites, and the amount of folklore and hauntings surrounding it are insane. I'll give you a brief overview. A woman in white, your favorite. (laughs) Yes, it is. Haunts the area, roaming the roadside. If you stop and turn around, she vanishes. She also likes to jump in front of cars. Cough, cough, Sabrina. Oh, my God. (laughs) My biggest fear. Apparently... There was an old hospital that burned down, and this woman may have been a patient. Oh, sad. There is a bridge you pass under to get to this area, which if you park under it, you may see small children hanging from it, an echo of past suicide. Oh, my gosh. If you park (gasps) under the bridge and put your car in neutral, you will also be pushed back up the hill. There have been reportings of a phantom cop who pulls you over and he chats with you and then he turns to walk away and you will notice that the back of his head is blown out as if he's been shot in the face. What? (gasps) Horrible. That is so horrible and so scary. There are also stories about a demonic dog-like creature, a hellhound perhaps, that lurks in the woods, all black, huge, with glowing red eyes. Mm -mm. It is said if you see this creature... You are going to die. Holy. Satanic rituals are also said to happen here all the time. So now you can clearly see the appeal of why me and my friends just loves coming here for a good (laughs) scare. Ha ha. But we never had an experience like we did on this night. Our journey begins around 1 a.m. or so. And it's about a 45 minute drive out to the spot from where we lived. So, of course, we're listening to music, having a great time. It was myself, two of my guy friends, A and F, we will call them, and two of my girlfriends, M and J. So we come upon the bridge, which is essentially the entrance to the entire area. And mind you, this entire area has no streetlights, very narrow road, and it's just woods everywhere. The feeling is so eerie that the hair all over your body will stand on end as soon as you approach it. We do our usual thing, park the car in neutral under the bridge, make sure everyone is silent as we do so, and we all sit and wait. Nothing happens. So we start to look at each other and laugh quietly, which is when the radio kind of kicked on full blast. Just static. Okay, so that was horrifying, and the smiles and laughs fade immediately. We drive on, though, because this is an adventure. (laughs) So we (laughs) drive... We drive deeper and deeper into the woods on this pitch black, super winding road. The highlights, the headlights barely illuminate anything beyond the road in the tree line. There's a constant feeling that something will jump out of the woods at you. Or if you even think to look at the tree line, you will see someone staring at you from behind the trees or someone hanging from one. This continues on for a bit because it's a decent distance at the end of, to the end of the road. Many times on the drive, we would swear that we saw glowing yellow eyes looking at us and then darting behind a tree. Yay. So this whole time, we were pretty terrified and the buildup is unreal. So we finally get to the end of the road where you park your car and you walk into the woods. Why we would do this, you ask? Because we were absolutely stupid and clearly had a death wish. I was going to say, is how, how is this not the end? Oh, there's more. Oh, God. Upon arrival, we see other cars parked there with some other kids that had the same idea as us. And we sat in our car debating if we should still go in now. We don't know these people or what they're doing. Ultimately, we decided that we should go in. (laughs) It's like the opposite of where you think it's going. So the five of us walk up to this group of like six or seven and chat with them briefly. And then we decide to all go in together. 
In order to start going into the woods, there's a huge fallen tree that you have to climb over to get to the trail. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's like three feet high. So it's not an easy jump or step over. Because something is trying to keep you out of the woods. Seriously. Me being Little Miss, I'm not afraid of anything, <laughs> decided to be the head of the pack with my two guy friends and the guys from the mystery group. My two girlfriends hung towards the back, and we got about halfway into the woods when my two girlfriends caught up to us and said that they were really freaked out and wanted to go back to the car. M has heart issues, and they happened to have our only flashlight. So we told them that that's okay and just to go back to the car and wait for us there. And it wasn't until later that we found out what freaked them out so badly. So wait for that at the end. So now it's just the three of us with this big group of people. We start to feel way more uncomfortable and start to hang towards the back and let them go up on ahead. So to paint a picture of our surroundings, we are walking a heavy wooded trail wide enough for just two people to walk side by side. And as we walk, this trail opens up to a clearing and the trail continues along the tree line to the right. So our whole left side is wide open and the whole right side is woods. Ahead of us, we see the group of strangers take off on another trail even deeper into the woods. That's when my friends and I stop. We decide we aren't going to just go deeper and deeper into the woods with these people we don't know. Mind you, they were already gone and away ahead of us at this point. And as we stood on the trail, we hear a snap of a branch very close to us. I'm getting chills writing this, just remembering what we saw. Oh, no. All three of us whip our heads around to where the noise came from, which was back from behind us where we had just walked. Standing about 20 feet behind us on the trail, we had just walked on were these figures. They looked like they were in the KKK-style clothing, Mm -mm. like just white cloaks and pointed hoods. We could see them decently clear as the moon was full, perfect for summoning the devil, right? I lit the clearing pretty well. There was at least 10 of them, and I have no idea how this many people were able to sneak up, up sneak up on us so silently in the woods, but they did. And we stood staring at them for seconds, and it took a moment to register what the hell we were seeing. Then one took a few steps forward, Mm-mm. slowly. And we took off running across the clearing, trying to beat them to the path that we walked on, our only way out. And as we ran across the clearing, we noticed that we were running across a symbol that was burned into the grass, like a huge symbol of some kind. We tore through the woods so fast. At some point, (laughs) Sabrina, you look so concerned. My heart is racing. We tore through those woods so fast. And at some point, I tripped on a root. And my friends were just so in tune with getting us out that I swear to God, they caught me before I hit the ground and kept running. As we ran, the normally eerily quiet forest seemed to come alive. And we could hear snapping sounds and laughing from both sides of us. We made it to that huge tree. And the boys dove over it and turned around to pull me up over to them and we ran to the car slamming on the windows for our friends to let us in (sighs) they were obviously startled and they were like what's going on what happened and we just piled in screaming drive drive go and so they did and we got out of there like a bat out of hell we caught our breath and noticed the time 3 15 a.m holy shit so these people I'm getting full body chills all over again same my ears are like pinned back to my head right now I'm freezing. So these people had to have appeared to us pretty much at 3 a.m. on the dot. Mm -mm. As we told our friends the story, we learned what made them turn back. Oh, no. They were talking to one of the guys in the mystery group and had asked him 
How do we know you guys aren't bringing us in the woods to kill us? His response, you don't. And then he smiled. And now I'm just sitting here wondering if them not telling us this info was revenge for me eating that last donut in the dozen we brought for the car ride out there. (laughs) I needed that. Thank you. I know this wasn't entirely paranormal, but it was horrifying and had paranormal slash demonic happenings. And I hope you enjoyed. I have many, many others for another time. Uh, Keep doing what you do. I look forward to it all the time. See you on the other side. XO, Virginia. I can't tell if there's an earthquake happening or if I'm shaking that violently right now because I'm so scared (laughs) that my floor is vibrating. Yeah, this one, this one. I'm going to cry. This is so scary. It's terrifying. I don't want to be in, I don't want to be in my office anymore. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. I should have made note of that. But I've been wanting to use this one for months. So I had to pull it. My God, that's so scary. It's pretty much like their lives were being threatened. They were in the woods. They either came across a cult or honestly, it sounds very much like it was a group, like a a demonic or spiritual, like a group of spirits or demons that just like lived in the woods. It makes me think of the witch. The witch. I also, just to make light of the situation, because I need to for my own sanity, (laughs) I would be that person who says, you don't know that I'm going to, like, if I were in the other group and someone asked me, how do we know we're not going to kill – you're not going to bring us out there and kill us? I'd be like, you don't, as a joke. It must have been the way that he smiled, though. The look in his eye. I can see myself doing all of that creepy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I know, because sometimes I actually, it's funny. The other day, I was at Sarah's house – or I went to Sarah's apartment, and Sarah wasn't there yet, so someone let me in. And I, like, followed them in, and the, the guys were like – the guys were like – um, so you're not a murderer, right? And I was like, I don't know. Well, and then they, right there in that moment, they memorized your face forever. <laughs> and then I, well, then I made a joke and I was like, usually, usually guys don't ask that question. Usually it's the opposite. <laughs> That's true. And he was like, it's 2018. Taken, I was like, touche. I've taken pictures of people at the bars that are sometimes our friends want to go home with i make them i've done it before i make them pose for a photo and i said we have photographic proof and a timestamp that you were last seen with her so be mindful of that my friend have fun tonight i don't let i don't let my friends go home with any people i don't trust yeah i go with them Well, when they're new people you don't really know so that's why you got to take photos and you have to threaten them Or I fake drunk and I'm like, oh, but I need you to take me home. I'm sorry you can't go with this guy. <laughs> and everyone's like, wow, Sabrina really went from zero to 100 last night. <laughs> well, like I thought Sabrina wasn't like drinking at the bar, but like she got really drunk. <laughs> I thought it was just water. I guess it was vodka. <laughs> Straight vodka. My drink of choice. <laughs> Classic Sabrina. <laughs> um, I finished my drawing. Do you want to see it? Sabrina, this is scary. <laughs> what is that hooded black because in your story there was a hooded figure that's your story in my cartoon thank you okay now i have a story here yeah before i cry myself to sleep and eat lots of pasta and cake no i'm sorry no no no, it's a good thing sometimes you need to be an emotional wreck in life okay this is from joey and subject line is 
Bloody Mary terrorized my hometown. Hi guys. I realized I forgot to tell you about how Bloody Mary terrorized my hometown of Roland Heights, California. When I was in fifth grade, my neighborhood and elementary school were stalked by Bloody Mary. It all started when a bunch of us learned of the urban legend and how to summon her. A bunch of us thought that this would be a fun, spooky idea. So after school, five of us, Heather, Amanda, Sylvia, and Brenda, stayed behind and went into the girls' restroom. I, being the only boy of the group, paid more attention to how clean it was and how many stalls they had in there. Stalls that locked. Come on, guys. We all know how terrible it is to have to poop in our restrooms because the stall locks are always broken. Anyway, we lit a candle, (laughs) shut off the light, and said her name slowly three times. Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. No, don't do it, Sabrina. You're right. There is kind of a reflective surface right to my left. We all know we all know what happens next, so <laughs> you can skip that third. Okay, sounds good. At first, nothing happened. But after a few moments of giggling, I screamed, which caused everyone else to scream and run out. When we got outside, I had a scratch on my arm. It didn't break skin, and there was no bleeding, but it was enough to scare the shit out of all of us. We were terrified. The following day, we met up during lunch and talked about what happened. We vowed to never say that name again or go into that particular restroom any longer. The latter being easy for me because I'm a man. Later that afternoon, Amanda came back into the classroom from the bathroom break crying and upset. When when the teacher asked what happened, she said that the words Bloody Mary had been written on the girl's restroom mirror. Whoa. And this was a different girl's restroom than we had done it in. Our teacher passed it on as a mean joke and comforted Amanda. The next day, Brenda came to class with her mom. Her mom told the teacher that someone had written the Bloody Mary on Brenda's bedroom window from the outside. Brenda told us that she woke up and got ready for school and screamed when she saw what was written. Are you kidding me? Our teacher and principal decided to talk to our little group to ask what happened. We told them everything from sneaking into the restroom after school to scratch to the scratch I got on my arm. I'm sure they didn't believe us. I mean, we were fifth graders, and the thought of a spirit haunting us and writing on the mirrors and windows was so far-fetched. It was still enough for our teacher to send our entire class home with letters to our parents about the incident, their investigation, and ensuring that students were not in danger. After that conversation, nothing else happened. After the year ended, we all split up. Some of us went to one middle school while others went to another, but we'd all keep in touch and talk about what happened in fifth grade. Fast forward 12 years later, and thanks to social media, we were all able to reconnect, and of course, this is what we first talked about. Well, my dearest Brenda, Amanda, Sylvia, and Heather, I was Bloody Mary. When we were in the restroom with all the lights off, I scratched my own arm and acted out the performance of my life. I went on a bathroom break during class and went into another restroom and wrote on the mirror. I also snuck out in the middle of the night and wrote on Brenda's windows because we were neighbors. It was all me, and I thought it was funny, and it was in October, so I filled in the Halloween spirit, so I officially apologize, and I hope that we can put this mystery finally to rest. Love, Bloody Joey. Freaking Joey. (laughs) Joey is that kid at the sleepover who pushes the planchette on the Ouija board. This is a 15-year thing that he has just let people believe. Oh, my gosh. Everyone be like Joey and tell us your secrets. (laughs) Expose them here. And I I really hope. I love that. I really hope those people listen to this podcast and then hear it and they're like, (gasps) oh. Everything I thought. 
honestly, like the mirror and the scratch is enough to freak me out. But if the wind, if it had appeared from the outside of the window, like, I'm sorry, I'm never sleeping in my bedroom. Like, I'm sleeping with my parents. I better have a sibling who's willing to have me in their room. Yep. I'm out. Joey really messed that up for that person. Yep. (laughs) This is also the beginning of the horror movie where Joey is doing all these pranks and then 15 years later, he wakes up to an actual haunting of Bloody Mary. Literally. He just cursed himself. He jinxed himself. Keep us updated, Bloody Joey. Good luck. I love this, though. That I know. not where I thought it was going. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so great. Oh, my gosh. That was a good one. Yeah. We, we had great listener stories this episode. Yes, we did. And I am terrified. Oh, gosh. I want more stories. I'll read them not tonight because I'm scared. But send us your yes. emails or send us your stories to our email at twogirlsonegoespodcast at gmail.com. And we can't wait to read them because we love all things spooky, scary. We have social media. We have Instagram. We have Twitter. We have Facebook. We also have a Patreon page that you can donate to. There's different tiers and different perks. We have merchandise that you can purchase, mm-hmm. buy, represent show everyone the podcast you're listening to and then we also have itunes you can rate and review us on itunes and just a note for patreon this is the last week and a half that you have to donate for october which we are at the end of the month we are going to donate 26 percent to two nonprofits. one is called old dog haven we'll donate 13 percent of our patreon uh donations to that foundation and then the second one is black cat rescue so we'll donate 13 percent to that one as well so if you haven't done so already and you do want to help support our podcast and also these nonprofits, donate before October 31st. We also have a live show that's going to be coming up in January. We're going to kick off 2019 by attempting to do a Two Girls, One Ghost yeah. live show. Yes. It's just going to be us in a theater. So once we have more details, tickets, time, etc., we will give you guys the go. And if yes. things go well, hopefully we'll have more. All over the country and maybe the world. Yeah, we can move to different cities. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And we will see you on the other side. side.